Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to the worship team today. Thank you for being here. Rock Spring Campus, Rossville, Dalton, online, however you're joining us. Thank you so much for engaging this morning. Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bible, I started the sermon series a few weeks ago. In the beginning, what the beginning tells us about the future and really even the present. We're just looking at how things got started so we can see how things are. So far along the way, we've looked at, you know, who was first uh, in the beginning, God. We've looked at how we got here. And today, I want to, the story's going to get worse. I want to look at this subject, how did we mess it up? Because we absolutely messed it up. When you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what we have is a perfect creation. And then in Genesis chapter 3, man messed it up. And so really, the reason we're looking at how man messed it up, because it's the same way we mess things up today. It's the same way we get messed up. It's the same way our enemy attacks us the way that he attacked Adam and Eve in the very beginning. So I want to look at that today, and I want to help you out so you don't mess up your life, so I don't mess up our lives. Genesis chapter 3 We'll read there in just a moment. Well, it's football season. You can feel it in the air, right? It's kind of got that vibe in the air. You can feel the cool breeze going on. The Atlanta Falcons are 2-0, and which I assume means they'll be 17-0 and when the regular season is over with. That's kind of a rarity to happen in the NFL. I don't know if you know it or not. I don't know how much you keep up with the NFL, but the only undefeated team to go undefeated in regular season and playoffs and win the Super Bowl was the 1972 Miami Dolphins. They went 17-0 and and won the Super Bowl. In 2007, the Patriots, New England, famously, infamously went 16-0 and and then lost the Super Bowl to the New York Giants. They're, they were the closest, perhaps, but there's been other teams that have been close to that 1972 perfection. For example, 1976, the Oakland Raiders went 16-1 and and won the Super Bowl. 1984, the 49ers went 18-1 and they won the Super Bowl. But the most famous team that got through um, uh, the season and the Super Bowl with near perfection was the 1985 Chicago Bears. The 1985 Chicago Bears were a phenomenal football team in the NFL. For example, and I, re- I remember, I am old enough to remember this season, the Bears defense was ranked first in the league, only allowed 198 total points for the regular season, which was about 12 points a game, which was absolutely would be today phenomenal. The Bears won the NFC Central Division by seven games over the Green Bay Packers, who were in second place, and won home field advantage at Soldier Field throughout the playoffs. In their first two playoff games, it's incredible. 
They beat the New York Giants and Los Angeles Rams and outscored their opponents 45-0 to and became the first team to record back-to-back shutouts in the playoffs. And then they went on to beat the New England Patriots 46-10 to in the Super Bowl. It's the, it was, the, at that time, the largest margin of victory in a Super Bowl and the most points scored in a Super Bowl up to that point. Well, you say, well, preacher, if they were such a good team, did they make a mistake? Oh, they made a mistake. The entire season was kept from perfection by one team, and guess who it was? The Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins finished the season 12-4 and and lost in the playoffs, but their Super Bowl was this Monday night they played the Chicago Bears. Why? They wanted to end the perfection of the Bears and keep the 1972 team in the record books. This night, on Monday night, the entire 1972 team was on the sidelines as the Dolphins beat the Bears 38-24. to The game had to be stopped multiple times because the crowd noise was out of hand. It is considered to be the greatest Monday night football game of all time. It is considered to be one of the greatest regular season games of all time. 38 to 24, all the uh, Dolphins wanted to do and Dan Marino, all they wanted to do was stop another team from being perfect. One mistake on the Bears record, that one Monday night game. One blemish on the Bears record that one Monday night game. Forty years later, that one blemish is still remembered. That's nothing compared to 6,000 years later. One blemish is still remembered. Adam and Eve made one mistake. Adam and Eve committed one sin. Adam and Eve had one willful disobedience. And 6,000 years later, it is still costing us today. We refer to that event as the fall. We refer to that event as original sin or the first sin or the curse. None of that describes something good. If you talk about the fall and original sin and the first sin, none of that is describing anything good. Adam and Eve made one simple mistake. And Adam and Eve's single error devastated the entirety of God's creation. And so today I want us to go back and look at that one mistake. Why are we going back looking at that one mistake? Because the mistake they made then is still the same trap we are falling into today. You say, well, if that had been me, I wouldn't have made that mistake. If that had been me, I would not have sinned. If that had been me, I I mean, no piece of fruit, and I'll give you credit on that, no piece of fruit is worth all of that. Bag of Doritos, maybe. Fruit, no way, no how. No piece of fruit is worth all of that. But the funny thing is, we can talk about how we wouldn't do that and how we wouldn't be tempted. But the fact is, we are falling prey to the same little scheme every day of our lives. 
Genesis chapter 3, it was Adam and Eve that marred the perfection of God. The devil tricked them into disobedience and downfall the same way he's trying to get you into disobedience and downfall today. Well, how can we be aware and be on guard? Because listen, he'll mess up your life. I'm I'm not even going to get into today how messed up our lives became because of Adam and Eve. But you, you understand that the Garden of Eden, perfect life, perfect people, perfect creation. Nothing was wrong. There was no sickness. There was no disharmony. Everything was absolutely perfect. And then today, I mean, just watch the news. Here's where we are today. All of that because of one sin. But hear me, still the same plan by the devil, still the same plan by the enemy, still everything he did to Adam and Eve, he's trying to do to me and you today. So let's look at what he did. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? Genesis chapter 3. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible, wherever you may be. Genesis chapter 3. Look beginning at verse number 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can eat from any tree in the garden? You can't eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God had said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, verse four, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of his fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Thank you. You may be seated. It is in those seven verses that man messed up a perfect creation. And by the way, it's the same way that we mess up our lives today. So what I want to do to you today is I want to pull the curtain back on the plan of the enemy. I want to take the wrapping off the schemes of the enemy. I want to let you know what it is the enemy is doing when he comes after you so that you can understand how to be on guard and not fall prey the same way they fell. Can I tell you four things about how we mess our life up, how the devil gets us to mess our life up? Number one, I want you to know this, our enemy is cunning. Our enemy is cunning. Look at what it said in verse number one. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. The serpent was the most cunning. Here's what I want you to know about your enemy this morning that that the uh, Bible is trying to tell us right off the start. He is not a simpleton. He is not naive. The Bible says this about him, that he is cunning. What does that word cunning mean? There in the Hebrew, that word cunning means crafty, shrewd, clever, malevolent, brilliant, skilled in deception. That is the Hebrew word for cunning. Look look at these words, malevolent, brilliant, evil, brilliant, skilled in deception. 
That is the enemy that you're fighting against today. That is the enemy that's coming after you. That is the enemy that's trying to get you to mess up your life. Hear me this morning. He is a master of disguise. He is a master of craftiness. And what this word crafty and shrewd and clever means, what he's trying to say by cunning is this, that your enemy is not coming up to you and saying to you, hey, I'd like to get you to ruin your life if you don't mind. So just do what I say and your life will be miserable and unhappy. No, that's not how he operates. The devil is not going to tell you the truth. Here's what he's going to do. He is going to lie and he is going to scheme and he's going to act cunningly in your life. He is going to be brilliantly evil in your life because he is disguising his intentions in order to get you to fall. He's cunning. He's brilliant. And he's coming after you. Here's what the devil will tell you this morning. He'll tell you and he'll disguise it. He'll say what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. Right? Just watch the news. He'll tell you what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. He'll tell you what is bad is good and what is good is bad. He'll tell you what is destructful is delightful. He'll tell you that success is failure. He'll tell you that Prism is freedom, but freedom is prison. He'll tell you that sin is fun, but he won't mention the misery that follows that sin. He is cunning, and he will disguise his plan, and you see it with Adam and Eve, that there was an enemy who was doing everything he could to tell man and woman, mankind, Adam and Eve, to tell them that if you'll just follow my path, if you'll just follow my, my plan, if you'll just do what I say, then your life is going, you're going to find so much happiness. And our enemy is shrewd and cunning and he disguises his true intentions hear me this morning, he disguises the true outcomes of following him. He'll come up to you and he'll tell you what happiness is, but it's never happiness. And he'll tell you what misery is, but he's never right. All just getting you to fall. All just getting you to mess up your life. I don't know if you've seen... Tom Cruise seems to defy age. I don't know if you follow the Mission Impossible movies or not. It's one of the top 20 movie franchises of all time. And uh, it has earned to date over $3 billion. Mission Impossible is known for two things. First of all, it's known for Tom Cruise doing his own stunts. At, he shoots at exotic locations around the world. As a matter of fact, in the latest Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie, the fir- they do a stunt about three quarters of the way through the movie. But did you know, and he does his own stunt, but they shot it very first thing. Why did they shoot it very first thing? Because they said if Tom Cruise died doing it, there was no reason to waste money shooting the rest of the movie. Literally, it was that difficult of a stunt. They're known for stunts. The second thing, Mission Impossible movie, by by the way, in in the very first movie, Tom Cruise is hanging by a wire, and in every movie since then, they have somebody hanging from a wire. But the second thing Tom Cruise movies are known for in Mission Impossible is always what is called the mask reveal scene. 
It always, you know, it's coming and it catches you off guard. There's always a character that's playing another character, but it's actually a disguise. And somewhere in the movie, sometimes in the beginning, sometimes at the end, even sometimes in the middle, sometimes multiple times in the movie, the character will reach up and pull his mask off and reveal who he really is. There's always a character that is playing somebody he actually is not. Why do I use that? Because that is exactly what the devil does in your life. He's wearing a mask that is not real. He is wearing a mask that has one intention, and that intention is to deceive you and disguise his true intentions. And the Bible told us it would be that way. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And no wonder he said, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, that's the enemy you're dealing with today. He pretends to be an angel of light. He pretends to have your best intentions. He intends to, he pretends to be what you really need. The uh, Bible says this in Revelation chapter 12. So the great dragon, we're talking about Satan again, was thrown out. The ancient serpent. So we, we're tying it back to Genesis chapter 3, who is called the devil and Satan. The one who, look at that, deceives the whole world. How good is he? He, can, he is so cunning. He is so crafty. He can deceive the whole world. Now listen, here's what I want you to know this morning. Your enemy is cunning. Your enemy is deceitful. And he wants one thing in your life. He wants to ruin your life. And so he'll disguise himself. He'll disguise his intentions. He will trick you. And it'll be a sad day in your life when he pulls the mask off of his face and you realize who you've been following. Our enemy is cunning. Don't fall for it. He'll come in your life and he'll tell you the best thing for your life is what he says. He'll tell you you'll never be happier unless you do what he says. He'll tell you you'll never be more fulfilled or satisfied. Listen to me. He's a cunning snake in the grass and he's lying to your face. Number one, know this, our enemy's cunning. cunning. Number two, know this. He'll always attack the Bible. He did it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he said. Did God really say? Did God really say? Notice what Satan always does. He immediately questions the word of God. So it's kind of a threefold process. I want you to notice what he does here. He questions it. Did God really say? Now, right, that's what he does in our lives. What does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible really mean that? So he says, did God really say this? Is that really what the Bible means? Number, number two, he'll do this. He denies it. He'll say, no, no, that's not really what God meant. He, God didn't say you were going to die. That's not what God meant by that. And so he'll take your Bible just now, and he'll say, well, does the Bible really say this? And you, you'll be like, well, I got a verse that says that. And he's like, yeah, but that's not really what that verse means. Oh. And then here's what he does. He replaces it. He, he said to Adam and Eve, 
Did, did God really say you can't eat of the fruit? And then he said, no, that's not what God meant. God didn't mean you would die when you ate of the fruit. And then he replaces the word of God with his word. He said, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like, God, now God never said that. That's never recorded in scripture. God never told Adam and Eve. But what, notice the subtle uh, progression the enemy follows. That's not what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible really say, uh, means. Uh, and uh, here, here's what it really says. He'll always attack the Bible in your life. I think sometimes when I talk about attacking the Bible, you think I'm talking about theologically attacking the Bible somewhere in the average. That's not what I'm talking about. Listen to this. Listen, uh, I'm just going to, can I just be rubber meets the road this morning? We're seeing it in uh, a couple places um, uh, prominent. And uh, let's just take the issue of homosexuality. Right? So here's, here's what we're hearing right now. Well, the Bible, the Bible doesn't really say that's wrong, right? As a matter of fact, here's, here's what the Bible says, that God is love, and if it's love, it can't be wrong. As a matter of fact, the happiest you will ever be is if you follow the path of love in your life. That, that is the most ridiculous logic you've ever heard because if you apply it to anything else in life, it makes no sense whatsoever, but we're falling for it. What about, does that work for adultery? Well, if two people love each other, it can't be wrong, can it? I mean, I know, I know the Bible said that, that uh, you know, you should, should not commit adultery. I think it's one of those 10 over there somewhere in the beginning of that thing. But I know the Bible says you shouldn't commit adultery. But doesn't the Bible also say God wants me to be happy? By the way, it doesn't. Happiness is always a byproduct of holiness. But what, what would be the bigger wrong? Me living unhappily or me staying, getting out of this marriage and running off with who I want to run off with? It's funny, we apply that logic when it's us doing the running off, but we don't extend the grace to our spouse when they're doing the running off. Hey, we can apply that logic to tithing. You say, was tithing really something God expects out of my life? I mean, after all, the Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hill. God doesn't need my money. As a matter of fact, God knows this, that a new car is exactly what would make me happy and God wants me to be happy. We'll say, preacher, that, that, that doesn't make sense. I know it, but that's what we fall for every single time. And he'll do the same thing in your life. He'll get you to question the word of God and he'll get you on the wrong path in your life. I mean, what if you did that? You, you would never do that with, um, uh, with the law, for example. You, you leave this church and you go down Peavine Road and drive 100 miles an hour. Don't do it, but just imagine you drove 100 miles an hour going down that little road and a, and a deputy pulled you over. And when he came up to the car and he said, what in the, handcuffs in his hand, and said, what in the world were you doing? And you say, De deputy, here, listen, you want me to be happy, don't you? And deputy's gonna say, well, you know what? If this is what makes you happy, then just do it. No, he's not going to say that. You know what deputy is going to say? I don't really care about your happiness. I care that you obey the law. Because by the way, when you obey the law, that's the best thing for you and everybody else around you. 
Well, that's what the Bible is trying to tell us. The Bible is the authority on life. The Bible is the authority on godliness. The Bible is the authority on eternity. Do not listen to the devil's attacks on the Bible. He'll attack it and make you wonder if it's true. But get this, hear me. He'll attack it and make you wonder if it's true for you. The very same people that would say, I believe this is the inspired, infallible word of God are some of the people who say, but I mean, for me, I know God wants me to be happy. I mean, how many times have you been duped? How many times have I been duped where I let him attack the Bible? Not, not telling me the Bible's wrong, just tell me the Bible's wrong for me. Just tell me it's not true for me. Just tell me it's not the plan for me. How's he going to ruin my life? Listen, he'll always attack the word of God for you. Number three, the third thing I want you to notice is this. His process never, ever changes because it works. The same process we see in Genesis chapter 3 is the same one he's working you over with this morning. The process of our enemy is so predictable that 4,000 years later, the Apostle John told us what the process was. The Apostle John told us in 1 John chapter 2 exactly what the process was. Look at this verse, 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What is that? That is exactly... What Satan used on Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. L- let me show it to you. He said, uh, first of all, there was lust of the flesh. W- what, what is that? He said the tree was good for food. I'll call that physical satisfaction. Right? Here's something you want. This feels good. Man, if you eat this fruit, this fruit on that tree in the middle of the garden, it's going to feel better than any other fruit you could ever eat. Physical satisfaction. By the way, he'll do that to you. He'll say, man, if it feels good, do it, right? You've heard that. Well, then there's not just lust of the flesh, but there's also lust of the eyes. Look at this. He said it was delightful to look at. I'll call that emotional satisfaction, right? I need to be happy. I want to be happy. I should be happy. And so this will make me happy. And then finally, he says the pride of life, that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. I'll call that spiritual satisfaction. Right? There's this lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The tree was good for food. It was delightful to look at. It was desirable for obtaining wisdom, physical satisfaction, emotional satisfaction, spiritual satisfaction. That is the plan of the devil. That is exactly what the enemy does. He takes what is wrong and he applies this proven formula to that in your life. And listen, he's not trying to get you to eat fruit, but he's trying to get you to do something wrong today. He's trying to get you to sin somewhere in your life. And it's always going to be right here. Everything he's working in your mind on, everything he's trying to work into your heart always falls right here. It's all he's got. It's all he's got. But he never changes the process. Why? Because it works so well. Why would he change it? Had to go to Costco this weekend. Is just me and a, about a hundred thousand of my closest friends were there. Um, and I was back in the in the fro, the frozen section area back there, and I 
I saw these. Almost, almost bought one. Um, the pumpkin pie they out there at Costco. I, I think it was pumpkin. I, I didn't look. I assumed it may have been apple, but either way, the the pumpkin pie is the most famous pie Costco has because they sell it for five dollars and ninety nine cents, and it weighs three and a half pounds and is a foot in diameter. It's enormous. The seeds that are removed from thousands of tons of pumpkins that are harvested every year are sold to a company that makes bird feed. I mean, it, it is a big deal. In 2019, Costco sold 6.1 million pies, pumpkin pies, including 2.1 million the three days before Thanksgiving. The now famous recipe comes directly from the personal collection of a lady named Sue McConaughey, who is the vice president of Costco's bakery operations. It was basically her grandma's pumpkin pie recipe that she passed on to Costco. The formula, the recipe has not been changed since 1987. Since 1987, if you bought a pumpkin pie the first year they were introduced, it is the same pumpkin pie you will buy today. They have not changed it one iota. And when they asked the president of the company why they've never changed the recipe, he basically said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If the recipe works, and 6.1 million pies says the recipe works. And the devil follows that same plan. If the recipe of Genesis 3 works, why would he change it? You know what help you fight off the enemy? Instead of seeing sin as fun, if you saw it as the trap that it was. That physical temptation is a trap. That emotional temptation, satisfaction outside of God's design is a trap. That spiritual enlightenment is a trap. If, view, if I view temptation as nothing more than a trap, I'd be much less likely to indulge. How much are you messing up your life by falling prey to the tried and true traps of the enemy? You think your sin is something special. You think your temptation is, you know, particular to you. You think what the enemy's tempting you with is, uh, you know, is something really special. He, he loves you. No, it's the same old trap he's been using since Genesis chapter 3. His process never changes because it works and because we fall prey to it over and over again. Let me show you the fourth thing. I'm finished. I'll move quickly, but here's what it is. Number four, the consequences are never what he promises. I could have used other words there, outcomes, benefit, whatever, but I use this word because they are consequences. Notice how the devil sized up what would happen to them if they rebelled against God. Look at what he said. He said, first of all, you won't die. God says we'll die. Yeah, but you won't. Uh, just a direct outright lie. Well, your eyes will be opened. Like you're really going to be enlightened. This is going to bring, you know, um, really satisfaction into your life. Not only that, you're going to be like God. Like God thinks he's all that. 
you know, but really you need to be your own God. You need to be the Lord of your own life. You, you, you need to be in charge of you. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. You'll get to be like God. And he said, you'll experience happiness you've never experienced before. You'll know good and evil, right? You, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be in charge. This is what he promised. Let me show you what he delivered. He said, you won't die. Did they die? Yes, they did. They did, immediately. Immediately, death was introduced to creation and man. Physical death began the moment they sinned. Did they die immediately as far as take their last breath? No. It's going to be 900 years after this that Adam dies. However, death was introduced in his body the moment he sinned. Death was introduced into the creation the moment he sinned. Not only that, not only physical death was all they were concerned about. Spiritual death happened immediately. They were separated from God. And then not only that, eternal death was introduced into the world. Revelation 20, 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the eternal death. This is the forever death. All of that came from Genesis chapter 3. Did man die? Yes, he did. Were their eyes opened? Yes, they were. Their eyes were opened to the misery they were going to endure for the rest of their lives. Their eyes were opened to shame. Their eyes were open to guilt. Their eyes were open to heartache. Did they become like God? Well, they were already made in the image of God, but now they have separated themselves from God. Did they get new experiences? They did, and they were all horrible. In other words, he lied or misrepresented everything he said to them. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. He'll lie about everything he sells you too. You know that, don't you? Whatever he's trying to sell you in your life right now, hear me, it will not happen. You say, well, preacher, if I do this one thing, I'll be happy. You won't, you'll be miserable. Preacher, if I do this one thing, I'll have joy. You won't, you'll have heartache. Preacher, if I do this one thing, I'll have fulfillment. You won't, you'll be empty. Preacher, if I do this one thing, I'll be satisfied. No, you'll be dissatisfied. Uh, but preacher, if I do this one thing, I'll have some fun in my life. No, you'll have shame in your life. But preacher, if I do this one thing, I'll finally have the relationship I've always wanted. No, you'll have ruin in your life. Whatever he's telling you, hear me, the consequences are never, ever what he promises. Stand with me across the room. The University of Michigan just did a study and... Um, Several weeks ago, this came across my desk. The use of cannabis and psychedelic drugs among adults hit an all-time high in 2022, according to the University of Michigan. They say it could be fueled by several factored, loosened laws around those substances, changing public perception, mostly more Americans self-medicating for their anxiety and mental health issues. Here's what the research concluded 44% of adults 44% of young adults age 19 to 30 and 28% of adults 35 to 50 use marijuana in the last 12 months a record high for each age group more than 11% of young adults said they use marijuana on at least 20 of their prior 30 days double double from a decade ago Psychedelic use is also up dramatically at about 8% of young adults said they use mind 
altering drugs like MDMA and others in the 12 months prior, more than double the rate from 2012. Why? Look this way. Because that, enemy, that cunning enemy in Genesis chapter 3 is selling the world a cheap substitute for peace. They're selling the world a cheap substitute for inner peace. They're selling the world a cheap substitute for peace with God. They're, he's having people medicate themselves with drugs and alcohol instead of getting right with God. It's another lie. Straight out of Genesis chapter 3. Smoke this and your life will be better. Swallow this and your life will be better. It never is. Have you fallen for it? Here's the plan. He's a cunning, wise, evil enemy. He'll always attack the Bible and especially attack the Bible for you. And the same process is going to happen. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But hear me. What he promises you will not happen. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that great message. God created us to be in relationship with him. And Satan will try everything in the book to get us distracted from that one real purpose in our life. And in fact, that's what he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And um, his tricks haven't changed. His methods haven't changed. It's the same old thing every time, and he is full of lies. And if he can get us distracted and derailed from where God wants us to be in relationship with him, then he has won the battle for our hearts. Maybe today you need to realize that the attacks that you're experiencing, the struggles that you're experiencing spiritually are because Satan's attacking you. And you need to, you need to claim the blood of Jesus um, over your relationship with him and um, and get victory over that. Or maybe you've never started a relationship with Jesus. And that that's your starting point today. Sin separated us from God. It started in the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, we've been born with a sin nature. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, paying the penalty for our sin. And then you have to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. And if God has spoken to your heart, and that's the decision you need to make, in the quietness of this moment, simply tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day to pay the penalty for my sin. And Lord, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my heart take away my sin. Be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, I want to say welcome to the family. And man, we want to celebrate with you. And so if you would, um, click on the link we just dropped in the chat box. It says, I commit my life to Christ. And uh, we're going to connect with you this week, send you some resources that will help you in your faith journey with Jesus. And I personally am going to connect with you this week. Hey, it's been awesome to worship together. I look forward to these times each week. God bless you.
See you next week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>